good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. Um, I'm Julie, I'm one of the pastors here, and you may have noticed that our worship director, Zach, is not here this morning, and that is because he and Ashley had their baby last night. So, I know, so exciting. We are excited to welcome little Harper, is her name, to Resurrection City whenever they are up for that. So, if you think of it, uh, you know, maybe send them a text or let them know that you're thinking of them and that we're really excited. Okay, so, um, Joel and I have kind of decided every August, September time of the year that we kind of want to do a little bit to cast vision for why we do this thing that we do. Why do we get together on Sunday mornings? Why do we set this cafeteria up so that we can uh, come together and worship? Um, and so for those of you who have been here since the beginning with us, it's been almost a year now since we first started meeting to plan all of this. And so for some of us, this is kind of, maybe the vision's gotten a little bit lost, right? We've been doing it for a while. You kind of go on autopilot after a certain point. And so we want to recast that for you uh, to remember why we do this. Why did we start this? Uh, and if you're new, hey, welcome. Uh, this is actually probably a really great time for you to be here because you can hear a little bit more of our thought process. You can hear the heart behind why we do what we do um, and get to know us a little bit more as a church. So today uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to still go through a passage of scripture like we normally do. So we're going to go through Mark 2, 1 through 12 today. Uh, but we're going to try and connect it to what we're doing as a church. And so... Our vision, having some clicker issues here, there we go, uh, is to glorify God by seeing people, our city, and the world made new in Jesus, our Savior and King. And so we believe that God is writing this incredible story through creation and through humanity, and it's ultimately a story that's about him. Uh, it's a story that's about him, and yet he uses us to help tell it. And we get to be, he invites us in, and we get to be a part of his story. And so uh, part of that is that God is in the business of making people new. He's making, in the business of making everything new through Christ, uh, our Savior and our King. And so we get to be a part of that. We get to join in, and we ourselves get to be made new. And then hopefully that newness spreads out into what we're doing in the city and ultimately out into the rest of the world as well. Uh, and so today we're really going to talk about that first part of being made new or making people new. That's what we're going to focus on and really kind of look at. What does that mean? How does that happen? Why do we, why is that something that we are saying, this is what we're about and this is what we're kind of going after. And then we, we've kind of talked a little bit more about some of the uh, spreading that newness into the city and other places by caring for people a lot through our Ruth sermon series that we just wrapped up. And so today we're going to focus more on just making people new. And then we're going to have another follow-up vision sermon uh, in September. So we'll kind of have this like bookended vision series that's really only two sermons. But I guess that counts as a series if there's more than one. So uh, all right, well, we're going to start with Mark. 2, 1 through 12. So if you've got a Bible with you or if you want to open it up on your phones, the verses will also be up here on the screen. Um, okay, so what do you need to know before we start? It's chapter 2, so there's not a whole lot that's happened before we're jumping in, uh, but you do need to know that Jesus has started his ministry. He has showed up and said, um, I, you know, I'm going to start going around, and primarily in that first chapter, he does a lot of healings. So there's examples of healings of leprosy, healings from demons, from other diseases, 
and word is spreading. People are hearing about this. And uh, uh, it's kind of starting to get some excitement and draw a little bit of a crowd. So that's where we're starting in Mark 2, 1 through 12. All right. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So he's becoming a big deal, right? People are gathering because they want to see more of who he is and what he's doing. Uh, and now we can just follow people on the internet and stalk their Instagram feeds, but at that point, they didn't have that. So if you actually wanted to go see what was happening, you had to physically go and follow someone and see what was happening. So that's what we've got going on. Uh, moving on to the next verses, it says that some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So knowing that there have been all these healings going on, uh, it's not surprising that these guys are like, hey, we have a friend who could use some physical healing. Let's see if we can get him to Jesus and see if he can be healed. Uh, but as we were talking about before, there's quite a following happening now, right? It said there's not even room, not even outside the door. I'm not even sure what that means. I don't know if that means like the whole yard was just packed with people or whatever it is. Uh, but either way, they can't really get to Jesus. They either showed up too late or whatever's going on, they, they can't do it. And so they've already brought him here and they're pretty like dead set on finding this healing for him. So. Instead of uh, just giving up and going home, they decide to carry him up onto the roof and dig a hole through the roof so that they could lower this guy and get to Jesus. So houses in the first century were a little different than ours, obviously. <laughs> and this is sort of what they look like. This is the best rendition of what I was looking for that I could find. And uh, so you can see that there's like a ladder or stairs. I guess this one has stairs. Sometimes it would be a ladder like leading up to the roof of a house. And then you can kind of see it almost looks like that guy is like mowing his lawn on top of his roof. <laughs> and that's kind of what it was like, right? So they had these wooden slats kind of, um, I don't know what they're called, rafters maybe, if that would be the word, on the roof. And then what they did is they would put a bunch of straw or hay or something to cover it and then to like have more of a protection from weather, they'd pack a bunch of wet clay or mud on top of it. So you kind of have this hay covered with mud on top of the roof and that was how they kept the elements out. That's how they kept the rain out uh, and that's what they used. And so you have to think about it. These guys carried up their paralyzed friend up a ladder or up some stairs, which I'm afraid to even just like climb on top of a ladder and cut a tree branch or, you know, paint or something like that. So imagine they have to carry this guy up the stairs or up this ladder, and then they get up there and they are so committed to getting this guy to Jesus so that he could be healed that they vandalize this house. I don't know whose house it is, uh, but they just start digging, right? They're just like messing up the roof, tearing it apart so that they can bring their friend down to see Jesus. And it goes on to say, when Jesus saw their faith, saw how hard they were working to get this guy to him, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, so probably not what he expected, right? They're bringing him down so that he could be healed physically from his, whatever is causing his paralysis. And instead of, you know, immediately finding healing, 
Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Not probably the answer that they were looking for. Uh, And if they were confused, they weren't the only ones. Other people around them were also confused. In verse 6, it says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So these teachers of the law are a little confused and honestly a little indignant, right? Like the tone of their, you can imagine the tone of their thoughts sounds a little bit like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Uh, And I know we like to kind of pick on the teachers of the law or the Pharisees when you read the Old Testament because they just always say or do things that Jesus corrects or rebukes in some way. But here we have to actually give them a little bit of credit because these teachers of the law, they knew their Old Testament. They knew the story of God up until this point. And they're like, wait a minute. You can't forgive someone unless they personally sin against you, right? Like, if Angela hurt Luke, I can't go up to Angela and be like, hey, your sin is forgiven, right? That's Luke's decision to forgive her because he's the one who's hurt. And so these guys are like, how is this guy, this fellow, I love that they say this fellow, sounds so old. Um, How is he the one who's saying your sins are forgiven? Because they are smart, right? They know their, their Bible and they know that ultimately all sins are against God. And so how can Jesus be saying this uh, at this point? So the, they kind of are thinking these things and they're a little bit indignant, a little bit confused, uh, and kind of thinking like, you can't say that. Who are you? This is not up to you to say. And the story goes on. Even though they didn't say any of this stuff out loud, Jesus responds and he says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk? So at this point, I'm sure the astonishment has kind of set in for the teachers of the law. It's like one of those, like, I, uh, I didn't... I I didn't say that out loud, did I, right? Like those worst fear moments when you're like, did that actually come out of my mouth or is that still just in my head? Uh, And then potentially after that, just confusion, right? Uh, Jesus, like he likes to do, if you continue to read through the Gospels, uh, he often responds to questions or at this point questioning thoughts with more questions. So he asks a question that, uh, first he says, why are you thinking these things? So they're a little bit called out. And then second, he asks a more perplexing question, and he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk? And I'll be honest with you, I have always struggled with this question. It's like, I don't, there's so many perplexing things about it. First of all, he says, what is easier to say, not what is easier to do. So it's like, why does he, why does he say that? And then he doesn't ever answer the question, right? He asks it like everybody should know, but I'm not sure that everybody knows what the answer is. Uh, I kind of wish there had been someone there who was like, uh, hey, question, Jesus, which one is actually easier? You didn't didn't actually tell us. Uh, And so I've done some research this week and really kind of looked into it, and there are a variety of opinions out there. There are many, many ideas about which one is actually easier for Jesus to say? So I narrowed it down for us to a couple of options. Uh, and the first one is neither. So it's kind of like maybe Jesus was just being sassy and giving a rhetorical question back to say, like, well, what do you think? 
truly, they're both miracles. They're both done by God. So there's not, you know, maybe that's why no one says anything, because it's like, oh, that's a rhetorical question. I should just not say anything back. Uh, so that's one option. Another option that some people think is that it's uh, forgiveness of sin. That's the easier thing to say because it can't be verified. So basically this idea of, right, they're all hanging out, and if Jesus were to say, hey, your, your sins are forgiven, no one actually knows, right? There's no way to check, like, did what he say actually happen or not? We don't know, right? It's an internal thing. Whereas if he said, hey, be healed, and the guy couldn't get up and walk, you would instantly know that he doesn't actually have the power to do that, right? So that's one theory. That one's less compelling to me than some of the others. Um, and this last one is really the one that I found interesting. And so basically, it's the idea that it's easier to say, be healed, because it doesn't require justice or sacrifice. So this interpretation really grabbed me, uh, but it kind of ha you have to use your brain a little bit to think about how it all works out. So you have to step outside of the passage and think about what you know about God or what the rest of scripture says about God and his character in order to understand it. So you have to think about God's character and the fact that he's a God of love and forgiveness, but that he's also a God of justice. So it's kind of getting to the idea that the healing would be easier because uh, to forgive sins, there needs to be something more than just words spoken about it. So one passage you can look at to see some of this uh, in other parts of scripture is Exodus 34, 6 through 7. So this is early on in the Bible, and God is sort of introducing himself to a guy named Moses. And this passage says, uh, and he, this is God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Right? That sounds like what we've seen so far. And then there's this last sentence. It says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So we see that this is God's character. And we see all these things present in Jesus in Mark 2 that we've been looking at, right? He's compassionate and gracious to the paralytic man. He's slow to anger at the friends who literally just like tore up his roof uh, and the teachers of the law who are thinking kind of mean things about him. He maintains love to thousands in his ministry as you read through it, uh, the rest of the book of Mark. And he forgives sins right here in this passage. But there's this piece still kind of missing from Mark 2, 1 through 12, right? He does not leave the guilty unpunished. So this sort of creates a conundrum for God, if God could have conundrums, because now every time he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin, something needs to be done on the justice side of things. He can't forgive without also enacting some kind of justice, which you see in the Old Testament in different ways, like the sacrificial system, uh, and in the New Testament, it's most clearly seen in Jesus' death. In Jesus' death on the cross, he takes on all the punishment for all sin, sin from every human, past, present, future. He takes it all on himself. He faces separation from God, and then he dies on our behalf. It's this crazy, beautiful, tragic thing, like the song we sang earlier, that God would choose to forgive all of us because he loves us and he's true to his word, but yet he chooses to take that punishment on himself. He does not leave the guilty on punishment, but he takes it on, his, on himself. So, okay, how then is Jesus able to say that he forgives the sin of the paralytic man, 
he's able to say it because even then he knows that he will be going to the cross and that he will be taking on the justice for this guy's sins and for all of our sins. Tim Keller, a pastor from New York, says it this way. He says, there's a sense in which for Jesus to say, rise up, take up your mat, and walk, truly was easier. But to say, son, your sins are forgiven, is something that only the Savior of the world can do who is going to the cross. So the cost of healing the man physically would have been far less for Jesus. But the cost of going to the cross so that this man could be forgiven, it cost him his life. So in that case, it truly would have been easier to do a physical healing because Jesus is the only one who is able to forgive this man. So it goes on in verse 10 and says, this is Jesus talking, he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So although Jesus knows the more important need for this man was forgiveness of sin, he does still heal him physically. And that is something that we have hope for as well in the uh, new creation. So he still cares about his physical needs, but he knows that the deeper need for this man was a spiritual healing. And everyone around them is amazed, right? This is something that they are recognizing. This is not just an average healing. Something new is happening here. This is something different from any other teacher than they've seen. Okay, so I want us to move to application. We're going to spend a little bit longer in application than we would normally do uh, because I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of some of the characters in this story. So I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the man who is healed and then also to his friends. So we're going to start with the paralyzed man. Uh, I really struggled to find any images of this story other than like children's Bibles or stuff for Sunday school. So this is actually a coloring page, uh, which is, I think, the like, the illustrator's name is on there somewhere. So if you ever want to color from this, I know adult coloring is like a trend. So if you ever want to do that, they're out there on the internet. Uh, okay, so we're going to talk about the paralyzed man. I want us to think a little bit about it. One of the interesting things about this story is that the text doesn't tell us a whole lot about what the paralyzed man is thinking, right? We don't know for sure how he felt about his interaction with Jesus. We don't know if he's the one who said, hey, can you guys bring me there? Or if his friends were like, hey, I don't care what you say. We're going to pick you up and we're going to bring you, right? It's not like he had a, a whole lot of choice. Uh, and we don't actually see his reaction to what happens to Jesus forgiving his sins. But there's an interesting key to this passage in verse 8 that we read where it says that Jesus knew what the teachers of the law were thinking in their hearts. So there's something we do know about Jesus. Uh, even though we didn't, don't know what the paralyzed man is thinking, we know that Jesus did, right? It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. If he could understand and perceive in his spirit what the teachers of the law were thinking, and uh, he probably could understand and perceive what this paralyzed man was thinking, even if we don't get that from the story. And we also know, again, if we take a step back and look at all of Scripture, think about what we know through the Bible and what it tells us about God, that repentance is always connected to forgiveness. There's never a time where forgiveness is given or offered, um, I guess, other than this, that there isn't some kind of repentance involved, or it's not talked about in the way where it's repentance and forgiveness come together. And yet, we don't hear the paralyzed man repent. We don't hear him ask for forgiveness from Jesus. And yet, Jesus seems to know. 
He seems to know what the man is thinking in his heart, and he offers him forgiveness anyways. Jesus perceives that the bigger need for this man, and ultimately for all of us, uh, is not just a physical healing, but a spiritual healing. The bigger desire that this man had was for forgiveness. And some of you might be thinking, okay, that seems like a pretty big jump to make, right? We don't actually know what this guy was thinking uh, or if he even wanted healing from God. But I actually don't think it's that big of a jump. And I don't think that because I, I think each one of us actually has that desire deep down as well. A desire to be healed from the inside out. A desire to be made new. And I don't think it's a stretch or new information for me to tell you that this world is broken. Right? You turn on the news, you read the, like, anything on your Facebook feed or any daily news that you, you know, interact with or come across, and it pains us, right? It's horrible to see what's going on in the world in a lot of areas. We hate the injustice that we see. We hate the selfishness, the corruption that we see demonstrated in people and companies and their government. Uh, and I think it's part of the reason we hate it so much is because we see it in ourselves, too. Maybe not to the same scale that we see in like these big news stories that come out, but we know that deep down, uh, we're messed up too, right? We struggle. We hurt people that we care about, even when we're not trying to. We feel like we're never quite enough, like we're never going to measure up to what we are supposed to be. And we see this in all things, right? Like watch television or a movie or read a book. And it's very clear now, even more so than it was maybe 10 years ago, that we like flawed characters. We want to watch people struggle. And I think it's because we identify with it, right? We want to see that struggle. And honestly, I hope that we're rooting for this person, you know, these characters to figure it out, to grow, to move past some of the struggles that they face. And no matter how much we try to distract ourselves or numb ourselves from the things that we feel or practice positive self-talk, we can't escape the reality that our world is broken and that we are too. And we're just like the paralyzed man. We have these external problems that we focus on and that we might think, man, if I could just get this thing fixed, right? If I could just be healed from this physical ailment that I have, if I could just find a spouse or if I could, you know, just make it to the next vacation, or if I could find that new job, then I'll be okay. And the truth is, none of those things are bad. But when we get there, there's still an emptiness. There's still that brokenness left inside of us. The truth is, all these things can't fix our inner problem. The only person who can is Jesus. Our healing from the inside has to come from someone outside of us. It can't come from us just willing ourselves to feel better about ourselves or to move past the mistakes that we've made or anything like that. Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and he sees his desire, his deep down desire to be made new, to be forgiven and to be made whole. And he loves him so much and wants that for him so badly that he offers his grace to him before the man can say anything possibly before the man even realized that that's what he needed or that that's what he wanted. And isn't that the way it goes for us too? That God finds us and offers us his grace when we're not even really sure that we're searching for him, that we can't even really articulate that that's what we need? At least I know that was what it was like for me. I remember how I felt before I accepted Christ and his grace and his forgiveness. I was anxious. I knew that I wasn't good enough on my own. I knew I had made mistakes. 
but I wasn't perfect, even though I wanted to be so badly. I wanted peace. I was weary, but God intervened. He sought me, and he offered that grace and forgiveness to me. And if you believe in, in him, all of this can be yours too. Peace, freedom, and knowing that in Christ you are enough, through him and through his sacrifice, you can stop striving. You can stop trying to prove yourself. Uh, you can rest in Christ's grace and his forgiveness. It's the sweetest offer that I've ever received. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure about God or Jesus or uh, if you, any of the stuff that we've been talking about, but if you can relate to that brokenness, that feeling inside of searching for something more, I encourage you to reflect on God's grace as shown in this passage uh, because he really is the only way to deal with that brokenness. And he is, as you can see in the passage, he is aggressive with his grace, right? Like he is ready to give it and wants to freely offer it to anybody who's interested. Before you can even ask, Jesus is ready to answer. So if you're here and you want to take that step, all you have to do is receive the grace. Accept the fact that you're broken and believe that in Christ, going to the cross, dying and rising again, you have forgiveness. You can be made new in him. That's who he is. He's in the business of making things new, and our, ourselves are included in that. And that's why here at Red City, that's part of what we are doing too, right? We are in the business of seeing God make people new. That's part of our vision. So that's my first application this morning, is that I want us to accept and appreciate the grace of God. Because whether you're hearing this for the first time or for the thousandth time, it's a beautiful thing. It's the ultimate thing. And it's the only way to be made new. And sometimes if you've grown up in the church or if you've spent a lot of time around the church, this becomes something that just feels commonplace, right? It's something we can overlook or we say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know I'm forgiven. I know I have uh, grace in Christ. But this is the bedrock. This is the reason why we do what we do. It's the heart of our vision at Res City. So I want you to reflect on what it means to be made new. Because if you don't have an appreciation for that and for what Christ has done for you, it's going to be really hard to get on board with our vision of what we're doing here at Res City. So reflect on God's grace this week. Reread this passage or other passages in the Bible that speak to what Christ has done for you. And allow that reflection to lead you either towards thinking more about if this is something that you want to accept uh, or to really grow a deep appreciation for it. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next uh, group of characters, and that is the friends of the guy who were willing to carry him up a ladder and dig through a roof in order to bring him to Jesus. So again, this story doesn't tell us a whole lot about these guys. We don't know what they were thinking. Um, we don't know if, like, how they heard about Jesus. Did they witness a different healing, or did they, you know, know somebody else who was healed, or did they just hear about it from word of mouth? Uh, but their actions speak pretty loudly for them, right? They were willing to haul their friend up a flight of stairs, or possibly a ladder, and then they vandalized someone's house. They didn't ask first, they just tore it up, uh, so they could bring their friend to Jesus. And they, it's clear, right, we don't know exactly what they knew about Jesus, but it's clear that they believed in his power, and that they loved their friend. Because you don't climb up a ladder and break through a roof unless you believe those two things. 
So while the first thing that we uh, had as our application point is to appreciate God's grace in order to get behind the vision of, uh, here at Red City, the second thing is twofold. You have to believe in God's power, that he can actually do that. He can actually make people new. Uh, and you have to, you have to love other people. Because if you don't, if you don't believe that Jesus is powerful, then why even try, right? Why would we even like have a vision for this? And if you don't love other people, then there's really no point in going out and serving our city and uh, interacting with other people. Because at that point, if you don't love other people, once you get the grace for yourself, you're like, all right, peace out. Like, I, you know, I'm done. I don't need to do anything more. I don't care about anything more beyond that. But honestly, I think that shows a pretty shallow appreciation of God's grace. Because when you really appreciate or love something, you want other people to experience it too, right? We do this all the time. We recommend TV shows, we recommend restaurants, we recommend podcasts, because we are just so excited about them that we have to talk about them and we have to tell the other people that we care about about these things because we think they're so great and we want other people to experience it too. And if you really believe that God's grace is life-changing, then I would hope you'd want to share it with your friends and family who haven't yet heard about it. Because that's why we share, not because we are, think we're right and we need everybody else to know about our rightness, but because we truly love other people and we want them to experience the life-changing grace of God. So the second application point is to be like these friends, right? We want to believe in God's power, believe that he is active and working and that he has invited us to be a part of this story and to participate in it. And the second one is just to love others. Care about them, invest in them, get to know them enough that you want to share God's grace with them. And one last thing to know about these friends is that they didn't think they could heal their friend on their own. They knew that Jesus had to be the one to do it, and they, all they needed to do was bring their friend to him. And they believed that that would be enough and that that would happen. And I think it's similar for us. I think sometimes when it comes to thinking about sharing your faith or talking to other people about what you believe, you get kind of this like panic of, oh, but what if they ask this question and I don't know the answer to that? Or what if they challenge me on this thing and I, you know, maybe I can't respond. Is that going to, you know, ruin their idea of faith forever? We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have it perfect. And I think it's good for us to know those things, right? It's good for us to, to know uh, how to think through and how to respond to people's questions. But it's not the ultimate thing. It's good for us to be articulate about our faith, but ultimately our job is to bring people to Jesus. He's the one who offers grace and changes hearts, not us. But he does use us to help share that message, to help other people know him. So I hope that's freeing to you. You don't have to be perfect in presenting your faith. You just have to help people know Jesus. Help them see him and his grace and what he's doing for you in your life. That's our vision at Red City, right? We want to see people made new, starting with us, ourselves, being renewed in the grace of Christ, but then spreading on to other people. The other people would hear about Jesus and know him and experience that grace and forgiveness. And that can happen in a lot of ways, right? You can get to know people in your neighborhood. And honestly, I think the best way that this happens is just through straight up regular friendship, right? Get to know people, invest in them. And as they get to know you, you can share more about what's going on in your life. But as a church, we wanted to create something uh, that would help give you an opportunity to do that. And so part of what we're doing with this fall kickoff, if you were here when Laura gave the announcements, she talked about we're going to do a fall kickoff as a church. Um, and part of what we're doing with that is that we're hoping it gives you an opportunity to invite people to come check it out. 
It's going to be on September 15th. We'll have more information about it, and we'll have some cards and stuff that you can use um, if you want to. But in one hand, it's going to be like a kickoff for us as a church. I know a lot of us have been gone over the summer traveling and at the cabin and doing different things. So hopefully it'll be a chance for us to all come back together and really kick off the fall strong. Uh, but it's also going to be a chance to create an environment that you would want to bring people to have come check it out. Because I know it's easy to say, like, hey, you should come check it out some Sunday. But Sunday comes around every week, right? So it's like, well, maybe next week. Or, you know, this week didn't work, or I'm out of town, or whatever. And you can kind of just, like, keep kicking it down the road. Uh, and so we want to give you some, some specific reason to say, hey, I'd love for you to come check it out. So we're going to have a regular service, and Joel's going to cast a little bit of vision again about why we do what we do. Uh, and then we're going to hang out in the parking lot, and we're going to have local barbecue. There's a guy in the neighborhood who um, he makes barbecue for free for people. He's really cool. If you ever get a chance, well, hopefully you'll get to meet him at the kickoff. Um, so he's going to come help us out. And then uh, we'll have kids' activities, possibly a bouncy house. Uh, still looking into that. Um, and then activities for adults too, right? Because we know not everybody has kids and that's not always like the easiest way to get people connected. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're hoping it'll just be a chance to hang out and to make, a, uh, make ourselves known in the neighborhood so that we can get to know more people and hopefully share that newness of Christ with not just ourselves and the people in our immediate sphere, but also with our neighborhood. And then eventually, right, our big vision is that it would be spread out into the whole world. So this is our mission, to see people made new in Christ, and we'd love to have you all be a part of that uh, in whatever way God is leading you to do. So we're going to move now to a time of communion, and communion is actually a great place for us to work on that first application point, right? To appreciate God's grace. Let's reflect on it. This, uh, the table is a great reminder of what Christ has done, right? It's the, his body and his blood in symbolism form, right? So it's a way to remember the sacrifice that Christ made so that he was able to say, your sins are forgiven. So as, as we prepare to do communion, I just ask that you think about it. And everybody's welcome to come up and take communion. We just ask that you're a follower of Christ. Um, and then if you are, you can come up while the band is playing some worship music and just grab a piece of bread and a cup. We also think that responding to God can take place in the form of giving, and so if you would like to give uh, financially, there's a box in the back, or you can do it online as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I really want you to, to reflect on that, to think about whether or not the grace of Christ is really something that you appreciate, and what you can do to reflect on that and think about it this week. All right, please pray with me. Father, we praise you that when you see us, you don't just see broken people who are messed up and have made a ton of mistakes and have run as far away from you as we can, but you see the desire for us to be made new, and you want to offer grace to us, and you are willing to offer grace to us, even when we're still sinners, even while we're still broken and messed up, you are aggressive with your grace and have a desire to see us made new in you because you love us. And we confess that this often becomes commonplace to us, Right? We breeze right over it, and yet you still love us. That doesn't diminish your grace in any way. So we ask that you would renew our hearts, that you would give us an appreciation for what you've done, and that it would ultimately help us to uh, be excited about the work that you're doing in our world and in our city. And you give us a desire to be a part of that and to share uh, the grace and forgiveness that you've given us with other people. In your name we pray. Amen.